The following is a message by Sean Taylor, a pastor at Grace Family Church in St. Catherine, Jamaica. To learn more about Grace Family Church, visit gracefam.church. All right. I'm looking out at all your faces who are here. Good to see you. Um, yes, it's, it's a privilege to preach God's word to you this morning. As we begin, one of the things I want to challenge you to do, because I said a lot has happened this morning. Um, things never, you know, the stream not, wasn't working like it was working for all these weeks. Um, we have a mix of people here, people at home. But I want us to really dial in this morning. You know, we're looking at, we're continuing our sermon series, Follow the Sun, looking in Mark 9. And at this point, Jesus is sitting and talking to his disciples. And so if you are one of those disciples, I want you to posture in a similar place. As you're sitting down, hearing what Jesus has to say. And so again, I know a lot is going on. So there will be things going on for you at home who are streaming. Even here, there are guys working. And we are grateful. But again, I want you to sit and hear the instructions that Jesus is about to give to his disciples. And I'm going to warn you, put on your seatbelts, what we're looking at. It's filled with a lot of warnings, a lot of warnings to his disciples in particular. And I want you to realize, though, that with warnings, God is really expressing his care for us. This is him showing his kindness to us because, frankly, he never left us alone. You know, he could have, right? He could have left us to do what we were doing but again, as people who tend to veer off, we need a good dose of some warnings to help us to change course and remain on the path of discipleship that Jesus has for us. And so I'm going to ask you to look in your Bibles in Mark 9, 38 to 50. So look in your Bibles with me. As we read God's word. And it says, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon after to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with 
two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. If your eyes cause you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Lord, may the entrance of your word bring light and understanding to us this morning. Again, may as your disciples we hear you speaking to us directly. And that we will recognize again that the things you have to say to us is because of your care towards us. So we thank you for your grace that you are about to show as we sit under your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, radicals, extremists, zealots, fanatics. What and who comes to your mind when you hear those labels? Okay. Well, maybe what comes to mind, you might picture maybe a terrorist whose ideology inspires violence towards people. Or maybe for you, you picture some group in the political scenes, protesting on the streets, chanting phrases that offend the hearers around. Or maybe it's just simply that person on the other side of the keyboard that is going to hurl scripted angry comments on the posts who, again, this person seeming unwilling and unable to discuss their views with you in a very civilized manner. Again, radicals, extremists, zealots, fanatics. You see, frankly, if someone calls any of us those words, we tend to recognize that, okay, they're not too giving us a compliment, right? Again, these are typically negative labels. And again, in the realm of certain spaces, whether it be in politics or social behavior, the truth is we think of these people who are so committed to their cause that they have this brainwashed blind allegiance to ideologies that, again, deviate from the norms. So listen, as we continue the journey looking in Mark, we're going to see him continue to share some of Jesus' teachings to his disciples. And frankly, as you read what is said, it's going to be very difficult to avoid some of the labels we just mentioned. Again, you're going to hear some radical and extreme views. And so, it would be all well and good, by the way, if the things Jesus mentions to his disciples were just simply calling him and them to hear it and nod with agreement. But the problem is, the things that he mentions, they're meant to cause us to act, and it's meant to catch our attention. And so, it is then no surprise to watch that 
the disciples who would have been listening to Jesus would eventually journey on in the book of Acts. And the outside world, when they look at the disciples, their response to them as they see their practices and the things that they do in light of their faith, that the scriptures say in Acts 17, 16, that they turn the world upside down. This is how, again, the world looks at the disciples. And so as we look at verses 38 to 50 this morning, this is the key idea, I believe, that the Lord wants us to hear, that our allegiance to Christ must revolutionize how we act and think about community and about sin. So Grace Family Church, those of you who are here, those of you who I think are on IG at the moment, and those who maybe will jump on eventually after you hear the recording, because just be reminded that you can listen to the recording. I want you to recognize that Jesus intends to turn your world upside down. Jesus is not afraid to radicalize you. He's going to leave no stone unturned. There's going to be no aspect of your life that he doesn't seek to stake claim on. And the path that he's going to ask you to walk, the thing is he has done this before us. And his disciples, our paths must align. Again, our allegiance to Christ must revolutionize how we act and think about community and sin. And so I'm going to unpack this under two headings. One, allegiance to Christ, not your clique, or some people say not your clique, verse 38 to 41, and then allegiance to Christ at any cost, verses 42 to 50. And so let's look at that first section, allegiance to Christ, not your clique. Mark continues to preach to his readers and as he compiles some of the different sayings Jesus wants to lay out to his disciples um, we again we're not too sure if these discussions took place in one sitting but regardless Mark structures it in a nice way because he wants to communicate a certain theme he wants to remind disciples about what it looks like to be citizens in this new inaugurated kingdom that Jesus is establishing so as you look at the verses it's going to serve you to remember by the way some of the, inst the instructions that were laid out before you know in verses 30 to 37 last week Joel would have reminded us about Jesus's path to true greatness you guys remember that some of the things that he said about the path to greatness all right so it's one that involves what being a servant it involves embracing another s word no suffering yes Again, the things that he laid out goes against the grain of society's view about hierarchy, power, and hinges to this idea of servanthood, sacrifice, suffering. Again, these are already very radical and extreme views, right? But Jesus is going to continue 
to challenge and reshape their thinking. So in verses 38 to 41, as the disciples report to Jesus about a particular person who is not in their group, someone who is not a part of their club, someone who is an outsider in their mind, this is what verse 38 says. It says, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he was not following us. So the last time, if you remember, again in the passage that Joel would have preached, when the disciples were having some discussion about who they thought was the greatness, the greatest, they never told one met the boss know what was going on. You know, they kept it you know, quiet and then Jesus had to call them out. But in this case, John is very confident that he has the right posture. John comes to him and says, after all, you know, he says, listen, Jesus, we don't know this person. As a matter of fact, the best name that John could come up with is someone. You know, he's not a part of the 12. You know, sure, he may notice that he was doing some of the same things that the master had instructed them to do in terms of casting out. But as a very zealous disciple would, he wants to ensure that the mission that Jesus is doing is not tainted by this no-name guy. You know, in the midst of a religious community, it's understandable that you start to ask, all right, what does it look like to be a true member of our community? And as John reasons, he stopped him simply because he was not following us. You know, I think that's a very interesting statement. You know, he, he didn't say, boy, he was not following you. He said, he was not following us. He wasn't there from the beginning. I mean, sure, maybe he heard of all the things that Jesus did, you know, but he wasn't sitting and eating with us when Jesus was explaining the intricacies of the parables. You see, Mr. Someone wasn't there to experience what we did when Jesus sent them out two by two. He wasn't there in the boat. He wasn't there on the mountain. He's not in our club. He's not a part of our clique. You see, one wonders, though, if what is being here is not necessarily John being overzealous, but maybe was he being jealous? Again, just thinking about how Mark structures this, it's not coincidental that Mark puts this discourse very close to the previous failed attempt of the disciples who were not able to cast out the demon out of the little boy. So I don't know, maybe in John's mind he's saying, hold up, I mean, we tried to do this thing recently and it never worked out for us and we are in Jesus' inner circle. I mean, who does this guy think he is? You see, Jesus in true form turns their view on its head with this response. Look at verse 39 to 41. But Jesus said, do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon after to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. 
You see, Jesus responds in the midst of this situation. It actually highlights that even if the disciples were being zealous in, not, in probably wanting to guard the ministry and didn't want this no-name disciple or this no-name person to mess up what Jesus was doing, the truth is their efforts were misguided and they were really short-sighted. You see, what you're seeing is that they were limiting the scope and the breadth of the mission that God was doing. God's kingdom is going to be established, people. And they are going to happen not just through this close group of disciples, but it's going to be happening through many unknown and unnamed people. You see, Jesus cautions his disciples not to be so quick to think ill of those who do works and wonders in his name. And you see, to a degree, doing so serves as some evidence that, again, they're not against us. Now, I want to say, to be honest, as you hear something like this, you probably have an obvious question. What about all the false prophets who are going to come in Christ's name, they're going to preach and work miracles in his name. And then Jesus is going to, in the end, say what? I never knew you. You know, how do we think about something like that? There should be at least some test, right? Further test before we start to declare that someone is false. You see, no, for the sake of time, let me say this. You see, what we're seeing is Jesus putting very high priority on making his name known. You see, Paul understood this principle very well. When he was talking to the Philippians, he kind of gives this scenario that, yeah, man, me know, me know. There are preachers out there preaching the name of Christ. Some of them doing it for envy. Some of them doing it for rivalry, for selfish ambition. But the reality is there are others who are doing it out of the greatness, genuineness of their faith. And this is what he says in Philippians 1.18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. See, David Guzik puts it this way. You see, there are many that may be wrong in some aspects of their presentation or teaching, yet they still set forth Jesus in some manner. Let God deal with them. Those who are not against a biblical Jesus are still for him, at least in some way. And so again, please note, you see, this idea has in view people speaking about the right Jesus. And so let me make that clear. If your understanding is that Jesus is Satan's brother or that Jesus was once Michael the archangel, then that someone is not speaking in the biblical name of Jesus. And in a very true way, they are not with us. But, you see, this caution, it actually serves us as we think about partnership in mission, partnership in the gospel with those who are very different from us theologically in some of the non-essential doctrines. That's the truth. You see, often people look at Christianity and sometimes we see the vast array of denominations and we probably view that as some deficiency. 
But I, I want to put to you that I believe in God's sovereignty. He uses differences that believers have in mission and in conviction, in sometimes the vision to advance the kingdom in different places among different people. And one of the things I want to warn you about, Grace Family Church, because I need that warning. You see, the moment we look at our particular local church and our particular denomination and try to purport that they are the faithful representation of what the unified church looks like, listen, pride is going to creep in on us. It is going to. You see, this renewed perspective on community, it really is set to allow us to celebrate the work that God is doing through people, even if they're very different from us. You see, whether they preach line by line or preach only topical sermons, whether they speak in tongues or not, whether in church they're raising their hands or they're very sober, whether you feel that is baptism by immersion or maybe just by sprinkling. Maybe whether it is because you think the millennial is a literal 1,000 years or a simple, maybe figurative. Let me tell you, God is building his community of followers who have pledged their allegiance to him. And it should humble us to know this fact. He's doing it with all these kinds of people. And so it's one of the reasons as leaders we even want to model before you this whole idea of praying for various churches. Not just in our sovereign grace circles, but churches in our area. It don't matter the denomination. You see, because these are people we hope that we want to continue to build relationally with. As a community, whether it be through our prayers, our giving, and our interactions. Because when we do things like that, we are partnering with God in the work he's doing in his universal church. And so, again, in verse 41, Jesus goes back again to the theme of greatness through service. This is what he says, For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ, will by no means lose his reward. It's a reminder that even the smallest act of obedience towards each other, especially to those in the community of faith, when done to the glory of Christ, we will be rewarded. We have to think about our posture, recognizing that our allegiance to Christ is what matters, and not our allegiance to our own circle and our own clique. And so in the next verses, Jesus turns up the heat with his teaching on discipleship, where he makes it very clear that allegiance to Christ is going to be radical. It comes with a cost and it requires sacrifice. And so we're going to look on the second point, allegiance to Christ at any cost. Look at me. At verse 42, he says, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Again, this is a very strong passage. 
one of the questions you probably need to ask then is, who does Jesus have in mind when he says these little ones? You see, in the original language, he seems to have in mind those who we would probably consider to be young people in the faith. New believers are what Paul would refer to in Romans as the weaker brethren. Jesus gives a very stern warning to his disciples about how they may play a role in causing any of these guys to sin, to stumble, or to falter in their faith. And so to inhibit the faith of these precious ones is not a light matter and by no means will be overlooked. You see, Jesus is being very illustrative right now. You see, Jesus is drawing on something that the disciples would be very aware of. You see, according to one of the Jewish historians, Josephus, he is referring to this drowning sentence that is one of the gruesome punishments that the Romans reserved for those who stood against the state. You see what will happen? A millstone, which is typically used to steer a large animal like a donkey, would be tied around the enemy of the state. And so severe was the offense for anyone who would sin against the Roman regime is that this punishment would really cause onlookers to have seared in their mind and in their memory the bodies of victims drowning swaying to and fro in the currents, going down to a watery grave. You see, what you're realizing when you look at a passage like this is that Jesus places a very high value on the souls of his children. You see, becoming a stumbling block in the lives of these little ones is something we're going to be held accountable for. Allegiance to him then looks like actively pursuing the protection of those in our community of faith. I have a question for you. It's a serious question. Are you aware of the ways that you could possibly be a stumbling block to people? No doubt um, this warning has in mind the ways that we can intentionally encourage one another to partake in sin. And so Jesus very much has that in mind. Don't let any of these little ones sin. Don't carry them into sin. But also, are you being mindful about how your interactions with other believers could serve to discourage them? Could serve to shipwreck their faith? Maybe in the ways that you communicate contempt or condescension? Oh, that God would forgive me for the ways that I, as a supposedly stronger believer, would look down on other believers. How, honestly, in the past, I was so filled with pride to turn up my nose at Jesus' precious one. Oh, because, wait, you really watch that Christian station? You really listen to them kind of music? You, you really read those kinds of books? Wait, wait, you listen to that preacher? Jeez. 
You see, like John earlier in his story, you need to be careful of how you can discount the faith of another simply because they're not in your Christian circle, simply because they're not at your level yet. And you see, Paul in his letters to the Romans elaborates even more on how those who consider themselves to be strong in the faith should interact with the weak. You see, as those who are strong, again, hopefully, you are growing in your faith in a way that your conscience is being daily informed by Scripture. But listen, understand that regardless of where your conscience is, regardless of how strong you reach, where you say, yeah, man, guess what? My conscience allow me to eat that. My conscience allow me to drink this. My, my conscience allow me to listen to that and watch that. I know big, big deal. And again, that might very well be the case. But don't let your freedom in Christ cause you to cause any of these little ones to stumble. Again, this passage is very intentional. Who Jesus talking to? I'm talking to the disciples. I'm talking to the inner circles. So guess what? I'm talking to you. You see, Jesus sees his precious ones as so important that to cause any of them to stumble, it's better you just chuck off in a sea. It's better you do that. And so in Thessalonians, Paul would encourage those who are strong in the faith to bear with those who are weak. And again, this is not a bearing with that comes with an attitude of elitism or a superior tolerance. But rather one that in patience seeks to help the weak. To encourage the faint-hearted. Again, we're not saying don't encourage your brother who probably reading something that uh, not that great for him. But watch how you, how you encourage him. Nobody look down on him. And again, I'm saying this to you because me, Sean Taylor, Pastor Sean, very responsible for that. Very responsible. And I know that in the eyes of the Lord, those sort of acts that I thought was coming out of my zeal for Christ and my zeal for being faithful to his word, but came with an attitude of condescension and pride is something that Jesus takes very seriously. And you need to take that seriously too. Again, we need to be aware of the ways that God is at work, even in the lives of those who are either young in the faith right now, those who are weak, those who are struggling in their faith. This is what it looks like to be mindful of those around us. And so, just transitioning now into verse 43 to 48, Jesus gives another strong warning. Not only should your allegiance to Christ mean that you don't jeopardize the faith of others, but you should be careful to not endanger your faith as well. Again, look at it. Verse 43, and if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. 
It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eyes cause you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. That's a heavy one. That's a heavy one. No, the irony is history is actually filled with a lot of tragic examples of people who have taken these words of Jesus in a way that it was never intended to. You see, one example is a young man at the time named Origin of Alexandra who had himself castrated in an attempt to overcome his sensual desires. Again, it was such a significant problem at the time that the Council of Nicaea had to outlaw this practice. Now, in more than one ways, Origin missed the point. Outside of proper circumcision, you see, the Old Testament scriptures actually prohibit any forms of bodily mutilation. But we would have seen some of this thing earlier in Mark where Jesus tells us that the source of sin doesn't come from any of our outer members, but from within. It comes from our hearts. And so you can be without your eyes, you can be without your hands, you can be without your feet, and you're still a very proud, arrogant, angry, malicious person. It's just the reality. But again, in this passage, what you see Jesus is using is a figure of speech. Hyperbole. It's not to be taken literally. But, though it should not be taken literally, what Jesus is saying should be taken seriously. You see, the ESV study notes gives this very helpful comment where he says, what Jesus is calling for us is not physical mutilation but spiritual mortification, the cutting off of harmful practices from one's life. So again, those who have come to know Christ must engage in a battle with sin with deadly and severe seriousness. Now, one of the questions you might be asking yourself when you hear something like this, again, you're going to say, why is Jesus warning his disciples why is he warning his disciples especially about the dangers of hell? I mean, why bring up the picture of this divine wrath and punishment of God? I mean, hasn't he saved them already from that? Isn't our salvation secure? You see, Jesus, again, though, is giving us a very realistic picture of the cost of being a disciple. Again, this warning hits heavy. First of all, for all those disciples who are disciples in name, but are not willing to do what it takes to actually follow him. It's a true discipleship. It's hearing what Jesus says. It's seeing what he does. It's following his example and it's trusting his word. Not simply trusting that he's going to save you from the consequences of your sin, but trusting him that when he tells us what we must do with our sin, right now, this is what discipleship looks like. And so Jesus, again, would have already mentioned in chapter 8 this idea about if you're going to seek to save your own life, you're going to lose it. 
So what Jesus mentions here at his core is giving us a picture of self-denial, what it looks like in the face of sin in our lives. We are certainly going to be saved from the consequences of sin, but the presence of sin is certainly here. So again, we need to be people who are not complacent. We need to be people who are not indifferent about our vigilance when it comes to actively cutting off ourselves from things that cause us to sin. Again, if you try to save your hand, if you try to save your foot or your eyes or any of the things in this life you deem valuable, you're going to lose everything. And so to follow Jesus requires choosing to suffer loss now so that you don't suffer loss later. That is the reality. As Christians, again, we need to admit that the ways we struggle with the fact that it feels like we have to live what looks like a very prudish life. You know, all this self-denial, all this discipline, all of these boundaries. And I mean, we see a world around us that they don't have any issues with that. I mean, they get to go after all the things they desire. Again, in the face of that, it's very easy to see the call to deny ourselves as, again, an issue, a burden. Man, all of this work on crosses. But again, Grace Family Church, Sean Taylor, anybody else who's listening, we're just too short-sighted. We just lack vision about, first of all, the worth of our souls. Again, Jesus wants us to understand that even though our members, like our hands and our feet and our eyes are certainly indispensable, none of us wants to get rid of those things. But understand, compared to the matters of faith, compared to eternal life, they, they pale. They pale in comparison. Let me ask you a question. Tell me, how, how much would you sell your eyes for? How much are you going to sell your eyes to me for? One million dollars? Five million dollars? Ten million dollars? You're going to sell me your two eyes? You see, first of all, if even the mere fact that I asked you that question seem a bit crazy to you, understand then that you understand the value of your eyes, your hands. But how much more value, again, the eyes which are simply just windows to your soul. Is your very soul. And this is why the scriptures will say, what does it profit you to gain the world, to pursue a life of sin at all expenses for the sake of losing your body and soul in hell? Again, this is not a light matter. We can't go around things like this. I remind people that when it comes to the matter of hell and talking about it, Jesus says it a whole lot. And he says it a lot to us. Because, again, he recognized how it's very important for the sake of our sanctification, not so much to put you in a ungodly fear, but to really have a value system put in check. 
What we do today, guys, and tomorrow are of eternal value. We need to check our value system. Oh, that God will open up your eyes and my eyes to see the true value of the kingdom. To be like the man who goes on a field and finds a treasure and says, Yo, backside man for sell everything just to get that. And not only did he sell everything, him say in him joy, him sell everything. In him joy, him sell everything just to get that. Come on. Would we be like this person? May we be like what Paul says in Philippians 3.8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. May we understand God, would you help us? And if anyone was offended by the phrase that I said, again, let me not make any of you stumble. Because, and I mean, again, the truth is, again, we can take these things light, you know. So again, it looked like, say, yo, if you do something like that, again, sorry. But listen, we need... To be serious is just the reality. So Jesus wraps up his final sets of sayings with an imagery of picking up again the fire mentioned in verse 48. And then using again the idea of salt. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Um, again, this is a very interesting verse. If you're looking at your Bibles, at verse 49 in particular, you're going to see a little note at the bottom where it mentions a phrase, and every sacrifice will be salted with salt. You see, there's a connection that the scribes wanted to make when looking at this verse with the Levitical practice of salt accompanying burnt sacrifices to the Lord. And so what this passage is really trying to get at is understanding that as salt accompanied the temple sacrifice, the disciples' life is likewise to be a sacrifice to the Lord. It's one that includes the fires of trials and persecution. We can't get away from this, friends. Jesus has not stopped to remind us, his disciples, that the path that he is going to walk in involves suffering and that as his disciples, we're going to have to follow as well. And so Paul reminds the Christians in Antioch that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And Peter is going to remind the scattered church in 1 Peter 4, 12 to 13, not to be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice 
in so far as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Pick your fire, friends. Pick your fire. Fire gone come. Be the perp perpetual fires of final judgment or beat the preserving refiner's fire of trials and suffering that mark those who have their allegiance with Christ. Pick your fire, friends. Fire gone come. Choose well. And Jesus finishes his illustration by reminding us of his disciples, that we are also to be like salt, being like a source of life and health in the midst of this decaying world. So again, whatever you do, wherever you are, be it you're a military man, be it you're in the police force, be it you're in finance, be it you're in the arts, sciences, education, whether you have your own business, whether you're still at school, whether you're at home. See, Christ is calling us to have a preserving influence around the people that he has placed before us. But again, be warned, his people who don't pursue purity are at risk of being useless, just like salt, which has lost its effect. Again, we need to be a people pursuing the kind of purity that looks like being mindful of the cost of sin and the sacrifice of discipleship. Being watchful over our lives as we are being purified by the flames of testing. It's a path of greatness. It is a path of greatness, guys. We've not left that theme. Again, Jesus not coming to broke your vibes. Him coming to give you true greatness. True greatness that will allow us to live at peace with our fellow believers and have a preserving effect on the world that we live in. And so as we close, as people who name the name of the Lord, again, I want to remind you of this beautiful message of grace. Understand, I want you to be reminded that there is grace in warnings. We are certainly saved not by our works done by us, but by Jesus' mercy. We are never to leave that place of faith in the work of our Savior. But faith looks like something, Grace Family Church. It looks like not being a hindrance and celebrating the work that God is doing in the lives of other believers. It looks like being serious about sin in the lives of ourselves and being mindful of how our lives impact those in the community of faith. It looks like embracing the life of sacrifice where we are prepared to lose our lives for the sake of not being ashamed. Who in the midst of a world, frankly, they're going to call you radicals. They're going to call you extremists. They're going to call you zealots. Even fanatics. But realize our allegiance to Christ must revolutionize how we act and think about our community of faith and sin. Let's pray.
You have just listened to a message by Sean Taylor, a pastor at Grace Family Church in St. Catherine, Jamaica. To learn more about Grace Family Church, visit gracefam.church.